to start I mean, out, though. Talking about Thanksgiving, I mean, it is, like, one of the only newsworthy things, I guess, that I've seen horror-wise. I mean, I neither of us have seen it. We talked about it in Roth, but, like, it is... He had some interesting quote about it where he says he approached the movie, um, like, this, what we're seeing, what we would see, this version of Thanksgiving, it's a remake of the movie that the Thanksgiving ah. trailer is for, if that makes sense. Okay. So I like, like that. Yeah, I, so I do enjoy that that's idea. A, that's an interesting perspective on it. And apparently it's working because people say they really like it. And it really does kind of capture the vibe of like an early 2000s remake. Okay. So it's like if the original was My Bloody Valentine, this is My Bloody Valentine 3D. 3D, which is, I mean, right. Which is really smart because that's where he first got his infamy was in that era of horror that early 2000s sort of like you know grindcore whatever the fuck you want to call that that genre right and it it definitely seems like a throwback to the types of horror movies that we were watching back then like a darkness yeah. falls right wolf or creek or they something. live yeah yeah, yeah. Maybe not they, uh, they live a little was... i think a little older but like yeah Oh, and I guess I'm thinking of, like, there's one that's They or something like that that's, um... Oh, yeah. That's on some of my Right time. around that time. Right. But, yeah, They Live is obviously The Carpenter. I'm just... I'm trying to remember that one. Because there was also, like, I feel like a Boogeyman movie. Not yes. The Boogeyman, oh, but yeah. just Boogeyman. Well, I think we talked about that because uh, I remember that was one of the early times where, like, I was so scared of horror trailers on TV at that time. And then that was one where it's like... All right, even that that so looks so fucking dumb. <laughs> I can handle it. Uh, but yeah, like you feel the, grown up in that moment, right? But that, that, I kind of sort of genre that spun out of both like The Ring and like um, I want to say the Texas Chainsaw remake. Like those were two very influential like horror movies that kind of set a tone, you know, around that time. And so like everything kind of felt like I, a, a you know deviation of one of those. Exactly. And I think it was just at the right time in like our economic history of the, there was just money in the streets. Yeah. Like everybody had like spendable <laughs> income. So you, just, you could make whatever. Exactly. You could yeah. make whatever and somebody will go to the theater to watch it. Post 9-11, pre-2008. It's, it's a very, yeah. it's a very you know, particular time where Eli Roth became like known and so if he's making movies that are a threat to that time i guess it sounds like it's in his wheelhouse you know yeah yeah he, he saw his calling and he he went for it i i think <laughs> yeah. i might try to go see it like today i think i'll talk um, myself into it i mean like <laughs> honestly yeah yeah i want to i want to see it um all right well let's jump into it because this is not a long movie but i think there's a lot to discuss about this movie with acting direction choices story there's just there's a lot to it so yeah. welcome everyone to the weekly podcast massacre my name is michael from portland uh but everyone calls me murphy i have a lovely co-host with me today hi i am greg gumbo or uh maybe today you can call me papa greg just for this particular sure. movie yeah. Sure. I, I I get it. Uh, we are in the middle of guess who we're having for dinner? A month long exploration into cannibal movies, uh, movies only about people eating other people, and we are capping it off with the 1989. I don't want to say cult hit because I don't think there is a cult following for I've, this movie. But mm, I've been seeing some stuff. Although Bob Bell, there might apparently be. would agree with you. Like. 
I I think so. The Bob Balaban cult classic Parents. Um, now to start this off with, we have already covered. I should say Bob Balaban returning champion. Yeah, and more than because we one. have. We have covered him on the podcast. Do you remember the other movie that he directed that we watched? Oh, of course. Yeah, that piece of shit, My Boyfriend's Back. Yeah. Okay, my other question is, do you remember the main character's name Johnny, in My right? Boyfriend's Back? Wasn't it yes, Johnny? Yes, but there's a, there's a, a, a last name. <sighs> no, I don't remember his last name. Johnny Dingle. That's right, Johnny Dingle. <laughs> Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. How you can ever forget that, I'll never know. But, we're we're going to uh, talk yes. about My Boyfriend's Back a little more. Um, I, I was I did some research on this movie, and in talking about it, like uh, the interview I watched with Bob Bellaband, they they also were talking about, a lot about My Boyfriend's Back. So I'll, okay. I'll pepper in some some info about it too, just because it was interesting. Well, it they are both movies about consuming human flesh. That's true. So it's very true. Yeah, he's got a theme. Uh, this was re- written by Christopher Hawthorne. It's, uh, like, 82 minutes long. Yeah. It is very short. Um, they are stretching everything in this movie, sometimes. Uh, it's from Vestron Pictures, and we'll go over a little bit of the cast, and then, um, give some recommendations. But I also did want to say that this was on Roku Channel. Yeah. So that's Sorry, how I, I ended it. up watching Same. this. Uh, I wanted to give some of the advertisements <laughs> for that. We have T-Mobile. Uh-huh. Uh, there was a copper fit thing, so like uh, ankle, com- not ankle compression, but like arch compression that you put it on and then put your sh- you know foot in your shoe. Uh, quite a few Heinz advertisements. You had Gillette, mm. Bounty Paper Towels, um, Carvana, which is oh. a good one, and then Peloton. Which, if any of these uh, companies would like to advertise on our show, we are open to it. Hey, I, I would, I'll, I'll host a, a horror-themed Peloton workout thing. I know there's, like, different yeah. themes you can do, you know. All right, and now we're biking away from Leatherface. Exactly. Okay, everyone, exactly. get into it. Okay. Oh, and now we're on the water, and it's Jaws! Pedal faster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, there's Ghostface Killer! Oh! <laughs> It's a fucking Babadook, watch out! Yeah, I uh, I also watched it on Roku Channel, and I had one of the most irritating fucking ads for Etsy, where I, I'm very mm. curious about the legality of this, but it was like, the setup was that it was going to be like a, it was like a little girl's birthday coming up or something, or maybe it was Christmas or, or whatever, and there was this dad who um, was also, he was a, actually a in a uh, homoerotic relationship with another guy, like, a, you know, it was a two-dad household, right? So I'm okay. like, so that was kind of, that's not the point, that's not why it was annoying. I, I, I thought you that were out of like, like, this was the B story of the advertisement. It like kind of was. He does everything with his daughter and then, like, leaves his nice loving family in the <laughs> suburbs and goes into the city with his no, apartment I, with I, his gay lover. I misspoke saying homoerotic. It was, it was just like, a, it's a, you know, a pair of gay men okay. raising a daughter together. <laughs> okay, um, okay. Oh, the, uh, the guy's husband only appears at the beginning and end of the thing. But anyway, the guy notices that, like, his daughter is into all these weird things, and she draws these, like, original characters or whatever, and he doesn't want to get her, like, a stock present, so he goes to Etsy and gets her a custom jacket with, like, a, a stitching of one of her original characters. It's very sweet, right? However, they decided to frame the entire commercial, like, 
they literally they play the Mission Impossible theme that dun 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 dun, and oh, the sure. guy is singing yeah. like he's narrating what's happening in the commercial to the tune of the Mission Impossible theme. It's like interesting. You know, it's like gotta get her a gift, and she doesn't like anything. Like it's like it's so fucking weird. It's like this is a very sweet story. It's like it is showing the power of Etsy and is very convincing. And it's oh, that's a great idea for a gift for somebody. But it's like, why are we singing it to the tune of Mission Impossible? Like it's I, it's so fucking weird. Yeah, a song parody that is not, law. Yeah, a song that is not very good for like lyrics. You know, like it's an instrumental. <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, I guess party uh, law applies, but that's but that that in between parents it seems of parents are like this little boy is having this like insane psychosexual like coming of age story and you know suddenly it's like this weird Etsy commercial yeah and then like you said I think I also got T Mobile and shit too yeah you made me think I don't want to give it for recommendations but I did go see the Marvels yesterday yeah and it's fine uh, one of the best things about it though is they land on a planet. And their language is song, oh, so unless you I sing, heard about this, yeah, yeah, yeah. I no, hear about this. They part. don't understand you. Right. I actually thought that was like, like one of the best parts of the that's movie. Like some, it was very funny. Yeah, that's like some fun Star Trek type of stuff. You know, I feel like Star Trek would do yeah. things like that occasionally. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's fine though. It was a movie. It had yeah. a beginning, middle, end. You know, <laughs> Sam Jackson like, got paid. What else can you like ask just for? Just barely over ninety minutes, which is like absurd I think for, like an hour 45 which is crazy like, for a good book movie yeah they never good. they never run that short anymore it felt much more like a comic book movie than i've seen in a lot of the other that, ones recently that's, that's a positive hey yeah yeah all right let's talk about the cast because i actually think some of these actors are pretty good in the role of what they're doing i yeah. i think there's other issues with it so uh, the person that I try most to be like in my life, uh, Mr. Randy Quaid, <laughs> is played Personal by uh, <laughs> plays Dad. Um, I actually think he's a pretty good actor, not just in this, but kind of overall. Oh, I especially always, yeah, the I always enjoy him, Cousin Eddie. He's great. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, he's he's maybe might still the best part of Independence Day for me. Yeah. <laughs> really, you, you're gonna put Bill Pullman? Below I, Randy I, like, Quaid. I like Pullman. You're right, but they're both great. It just you're good. What? Hold on. They're both. Hold good. on. You're gonna put Goldblum yeah. below a Randy Quaid. You're gonna I, put. And why can't I think of his name right now? Yeah. From Taxi. From the Fablemans. What? What's Judd uh, Hirsch? Judd Hirsch. You're yeah. gonna put Judd yes. Hirsch. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think this is crazy. <laughs> I don't wow. think this is crazy. Wow. I think okay, because Independence Day to me is it's a, it's a fun popcorn movie with a terrible script. And those actors are all really hurt by that, I think. Um, <laughs> but Randy Quaid is not, because his character is just Randy Quaid, you know? Right, a so, drunk uh, conspiracy theorist. <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. So I, yes. I think yes. he, that, yeah, that's that's it. That's my whole argument. I don't need to say anymore, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, uh, we have 100%. Mary Beth Hurt as mom. Brian uh, Madorsky as Michael. I looked it up. This was his only movie ever. Um, and I believe he became an accountant afterwards, when he grew up. Not, like, immediately right. after the movie, but, you know, took a little time. Uh, you have Juno Mills Cockle as Sheila Zellner. 
You have Deborah Rush as Gladys Zellner. The only reason I uh, put Deborah Rush is, does she look familiar to you? Because I know her from a specific thing. No, I did not look her up, but I can pull Ram DB right now. Let's see. Um, uh, I don't know if you ever watched the show. It was probably before your time, uh, but a little gem on Comedy Central called Strangers with Candy. Oh, yeah, no, I've seen Strangers with Candy. Yeah, that's right. She's the stepmother in Strangers with Candy. Okay, And it's yeah. just phenomenal in that show. Um, oh, and so is everybody. It's fucking amazing, yeah. <laughs> it it really is great, and it it's so funny i need to go back and rewatch it because yeah same i always i always think about the just like just everyone be quiet i got something to say <laughs> like how you end every episode like yes. that and it's really it's really funny oh and then to to wrap it off i'm gonna say sandy dennis as millie Dew, otherwise known as the social worker mm-hmm. um who is an oscar winning actor for best supporting actor from uh who's afraid of virginia wolf yeah and is bizarrely in this movie um she's fine in it but it's just kind of like what what are you doing why are you here uh friends with bob probably yeah bob has worked with fucking every goddamn uh you know like great director like he's at the interview I was watching, he's worked with, like, Sidney Lumet, and then he immediately went from that to working with Sidney Pollock, you know? So it's, like, Ooh. bounced between yeah. the, the two Sidneys, you know? Like, yeah, Bob has got friends in a lot of places. Um, is he the modern-day Adam Driver? I feel like that's Adam <laughs> Driver's role right now, is he's just working Kinda. with every top director. Oh, sure. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio does that, too, but, like, you know, yeah. Um, but you're right, Adam Driver, right, he was an up-and-comer who just, like, is bouncing between... Great director, great director. I mean, like, yeah, because like, didn't Sidney Pollock direct '65? You know, wasn't that a uh, yeah? Oh yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know. uh, we rose him from the grave and decided you re- should make this movie. Yeah, I didn't realize Sandy Dennis won an Oscar for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I mean, that's a great movie, but I just wouldn't have picked. Like, I mean, she's great in that movie too. It's just interesting that it was, you know, her that wanted for that movie and not because that movie is just littered wall to wall incredible performances so yeah i am i wrong with that movie won best actress and best supporting actress i think it did yeah that makes sense yeah um which i actually have not seen this actually never mind that makes sense never mind i don't think it's i I forgot that it's not the masses you can give out more than one performance award (laughs) (laughs) whoops well she she won best supporting and then the other one won uh, yes, best regular yeah, actress. Right. That, that uh, I have not sense. seen this movie. I this one that oh, I really want to put high on my list. Yeah, um, I know this is one that our friend Beerzar always um, puts as a gif of yeah. Sandy Dennis clapping, saying "Violence, violence." Yep, exactly. Yeah. I, and it's one. Of, it's one of our uh, gif. Our our co-host Kill. Um, she yeah. she had me watch it. That's like that's, we did like a, like a letterbox raffle, I think. And so she picked that for me to watch, and it was fucking incredible. It's like what? It's like her favorite movie, I think. So, I I yeah. gotta get into it. I know yeah. I do. It, All right, it's amazing. Uh, before we get more into parents, let's talk about um, anything other than horror that we've yeah. been watching, reading, experiencing. Greg, is there anything you've been um, want to you know let us know about? Yeah, one hundred percent. I got a follow up from. I was probably last week where I talked about <laughs> I had watched Twilight. Um, and I really enjoyed it because it's like so bizarre and strange and weird, especially for like a you know big blockbuster franchise. Uh, I have finished the series, so I watched New Moon Eclipse and then Breaking Dawn Part One and Two. Um, 
New Moon and Eclipse are fucking terrible. Like, that's just where all of the baggage of that series, like, comes. I mean, I think the first one gets a lot of, you know, gets ragged on a lot by people, too. But the second and third one are, like, they're incredibly boring. The love triangle, the whole Edward Jacob bullshit is, like, Mm -hmm. so... It's everybody in that franchise, except for Bella's dad, is like the most emotionally manipulative, da- manipulative and damaged person you can imagine. Like they're all just awful, toxic people. You know, does her is her father played by anyone uh, that I would know? No, I didn't recognize from anything else, but he's pretty good in it. Let me look up what his name is because I, I did. I, th- I mean, he's easily the most likable character uh, in the franchise, and I think they know it okay. too. But like, um. So the second and third ones are really bad. The werewolf stuff sucks. Uh, it is like the uh, worst version of werewolves, where they're literally just big wolves, you know? Um, uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Why is he so? Uh, I'll find it as I as I'm still talking. But like, I so those are bad. And then Breaking Dawn Part One really shocked me because like, it's this you know young adult like, romantic fantasy series, right? But Breaking Dawn Part 1 has a sex scene. It's, like, you don't see any nudity, but you see a lot of, like, naked Kristen Stewart back, and, you know, you may even see... Suggestive. You might even see Pattinson butt for, like, half a second. Like, but it's way... They talk about sex a lot. They have this whole thing about her leading up to the sex. Like, it was just like, oh, wow, this, like, was for a young audience, and it's taking sex seriously. It's also written by a Mormon woman, so, like, that that kind of bleeds into right. it a little bit. But it then turns into a body horror movie as she gets pregnant from vampire cum. And since it's, like, magic cum, her pregnancy happens super fast. Accelerated pregnancy, yes. yeah. And they sh- it is straight up a body horror movie of, like, her stomach expanding at a rapid rate. And, like, she gets all emaciated and starts looking, like, thinner sudden. You know, like, she's got a thinner curse. Um... Then, like, the actual birthing scenes, like, her bones are breaking from the power of the baby and shit like that. Yeesh. Like, it's fucking crazy, and it's, like, it goes back to what the, made the first one good to me, of just that, like, that really, really weird, like, how is this a real movie type of feeling, you know? Okay, okay. But overall, yeah. do you, should I watch them? Do you recommend me going through five movies that's the thing it's hard to say all five like watch all five. Oh, and by the way billy burke is the name of the actor who plays her dad but um how do i know i know that name somehow yeah billy burke uh i don't want to get too into it because i want to finish talking about this we can move on right yeah but like uh it's hard to say watch all five but honestly yes the first one and then the last two are worth watching oh, i honestly yeah, think yeah, you yeah. probably could watch a summary of two and three because they're so inconsequential, ultimately. That's a big problem with that franchise, is that, like, the movies don't have a real climax for any of them, except for right. the first one, and then, and then the last two. They all, those ones are kind of, like, they're structured like real movies a little bit. Um, but the last one is fucking crazy. I have, I laughed so hard at so many parts of the last movie. So many stupid lines, so many, like, crazy bad special effects and and in a way again like the first one made it very enjoyable to watch so i would say the first one and then breaking dawn part one and two 
skip the other two read summaries See, or that's, whatever. That's yeah. not going to happen. My OCD, <laughs> I will not be able to not watch those I, movies. Look, I know who I'm talking to. I guess I we're talking to, to the audience it. at this point. Any other listeners out there who are Twilight curious, yeah. Uh, Billy Burke, I remember from, you should check this movie out because uh, I haven't seen it in years, though. Mafia, which is mm, a spoof okay. movie in the mid-90s, kind of like an airplane that's making fun of, like, godfather yeah. casino Good other fellas, movies I'm like sure. that yeah um starring oh what's his name jay moore oh jay and, moore. okay um it's it's ridiculous i remember the beginning of it is like the uh casino opening parody of like the car exploding yeah um there's a there's a lot of things that i specifically remember from this movie and one of them is billy burke is like his brother or cousin or friend kind of like the joe pesci role in casino and i remember at one point he just um puts a bunch of cocaine down on like a blackjack table or whatever takes one of those big cups that you know you put all the coins in in it yeah turns it over like punctures the top of it and then sniffs all the cocaine that way <laughs> and to where the point where he has like cartoon buggy eyes oh, that's are, awesome. like popping out oh of his of his face so I, good maybe for like <laughs> maybe for april we'll do an april full scene we just cover par- like parody movies like just complete opposite that's horror. not a bad that's not a bad <laughs> idea greg um well i'm gonna take over because i know there's yeah. one of them we'll talk about yeah, together yes exactly um, and, and the other one I wanted to get into is I've been watching, trying to go through some of the Ridley Scott movies yeah. before Napoleon. That's right. I ended up watching The Last Duel and was fucking blown away. It's so good, right? By yeah, it's so good. Everybody in that movie, I kind of fell back in love with Ben Affleck in that role. He is phenomenal. Just, just knocks it out of the park i think what's even more surprising is how good matt damon is being like that brooding dumb guy exactly and just the like the brilliance of showing it in different perspective different truths to each other and like how matt damon sees himself as this noble you know actor and everything and then when you see it from her point of view and she tells him, he's like tr- almost killing her by yeah. choking her. Oh, dude. And it's just, yeah. Like everything comes back to, again, him. It's why does he take everything from me and not realizing that it was against her solely? Um, at, just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Um, really, really uh, on the edge of my seat by the end of it. Like when they announce what will happen to her if matt damon loses i was like holy shit now i am i was already so invested emotionally and now you've gone above and beyond everything that um i i thought i was like feeling and the fact that it's directed by like an 80 year old man yes oh yeah exactly and not only that but like just the fact that it's this weird in terms of like the genre of it it's so fascinating where it is right this, so like, much comedy so much comedy and but not only that but it is like it's a medieval legal thriller but yeah. wisely taking advantage of the the setting and that oh okay so yeah and part of the legal system was duels to the death like that is part of how they distributed justice you know so yeah like um and then yes and then in multiple perspectives so meaning that every actor who appears in all three stories is giving three very different performances 
but like different yes. in really subtle, interesting ways, you know, like you mentioned. So, and it's it's purely like body language in those, you know, and like right. how a, a he look shoots means them. something yes, different. Exactly. Yeah. How he yeah. shoots, like it's, yeah, it's all so brilliant. Um, Adam Driver playing the most despicable fucking person, you know, like, which is saying something in that movie because everyone is different shades of terrible <laughs> for the most part. But like, uh, yeah, really awesome stuff. And right. And then taking advantage of the chemistry of Ben Affleck and Matt Damon like that, like, you know, just, right. yeah. Oh, I man, think what a, what yeah, of what a them, great movie. That was so amazing to me was, like, Matt Damon goes to confront Ben Affleck and Adam Driver, and then it just cuts to him talking to his wife about it. Yeah. And then, like, 45 minutes later, you actually get to see that interaction, and I was like, it's better than I would have imagined. Like, I yeah. knew he fucked it up. You just don't realize how much he fucked it up. Ridley, um, Ridley is great. so impressive, like, the speed at which he makes things. Like, he just, like, there's a quote that came out right. yesterday. He did an interview where they talked about, like, hey, you know, Mars Scorsese's talking about how, like, he's really feeling the limit of his time left on Earth and all this stuff, right? And Ridley's like, well, you know, like, we're very different guys. Like, in the time that it took him to make Killers of the Flower Moon, I made four movies, He's like, yeah. so he's like, so I don't think about it. I just get up and be like, all right, like another day is stress or whatever. So he's so the fascinating. Other... But as I was going to say, yeah. like, I think that harmed The Last Duel a little bit because that came out and then like literally it was like two weeks later, House of Gucci came out. I, I think it's and a month a month later, House you, of yeah, Gucci. Yeah, but like yeah. everybody moved on from The Last Duel. And like, it, yeah. it, it, I think it, it was still at the tail end of the pandemic. And so theater releases weren't getting as much like push and... It just it really hurt its chances for any kind of awards. I think any kind of like right. widespread attention because barely anybody fucking talked about it. You know, I I'm pretty sure it, it was him that I was reading some interview about, and they were talking about how um, he realized if you have two cameras, it goes twice as fast. <laughs> if I have four cameras, it's four times as fast. If I have eight cameras, I can be done by lunch. Like that. That thing. That's his. Uh, thought process yeah, now that's and amazing like, now that like film is not the biggest like issue and that cameras are becoming uh i mean i don't want to say cheaper because they're not no, really no, but like more manageable all. to be able to like get multiple of them yeah uh, that are such high definition that yeah you can you can make something a lot quicker yeah. and uh i'm so excited for napoleon yeah me too all right me too we're going to move on, and we're going to talk about one of the other recommendations that is. I've only watched the first episode so far. Same. I'm okay, trying yeah, to we're, keep it... Yes, same. We're in the same position. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, pad it out a little bit. But right. Monarch, Legacy of the Monsters, has released fucking great so far. Yeah, the first five cool minutes first were episode. a little rough. Effects-wise, you mean? I think that first monster, yeah. Yeah, kind of. battle is fun. like... Yeah. It is fun. Um, you get John Goodman there, at yeah. least. Uh, but yeah, just like great acting, great story so far. That's what I was kind of surprised about, how shortly invested I got into some of these characters. Oh, totally. I yeah. love that it's the and Anders guy. I can't remember his last Anders name, but he's home, playing yeah. a younger version Which of John Goodman. Which is funny, because it's like, what, 19... 19- like, 58 or 57? Yeah, think. and yeah. then... Um, it's like 22 years you've he gone turned, from he that. He turns into John Goodman. Yeah. It's like 80-year-old John Goodman. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah. Wyatt Russell, that guy is so charming, like, and the little, like... Yeah. The little, like, uh, hints of his father's voice in there. Like, So we haven't gotten to Kurt Russell yet. He's not in the first episode. Nope. But, like, 
but yeah, uh, I'm already very excited for that that dichotomy. And yeah, you're totally right. I really liked the world building in it too. Like um, when our main characters in she arrives in Japan and she's being driven by the the Uber driver. And you oh, get that right. hint of like, <laughs> yeah. oh, they created everything with CGI. <laughs> like Godzilla's not yeah. real, you know. And it's like it's it's all just like a scam, so they can like beef up our weapons budgets and things like that. And I'm like, that's a really funny like perspective Defense on systems. it. Yeah, yeah. But I do love the... just like as she's coming into the airport, you yeah. have the the giant floor Godzilla and just the like telling you Godzilla, where to go yeah, for the emergencies. Godzilla evacuation yeah. route. Uh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, I, I'm gonna buy a poster of that probably that warning. You know, put it on my on my wall somewhere. <laughs> but uh, no, I was really liking. It. And then you know, it's again. I'm sorry for any kind of spoilers out there, but. There's a, God, a Godzilla appearance in the first episode. It's a Godzilla TV show. You get a flashback. You get a flashback. If you take like yeah, half an hour, yes. and then you get our big boy. And it was really um, well done. I couldn't tell if they yeah. reused some footage from the 2014 I think they Godzilla. Did. But it was really and well then done. There, anyway. was, there was some new stuff yes. included, I believe. Oh, yeah. Yes. And, let me, and let me just say, Godzilla gets a... Bu- I mean, obviously he has it in the movie, too. But they, they show you the victims of Godzilla just walking, basically... And it's pretty brutal. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, yeah. I was not expecting that. Um, there's there's another death in it that really shocked me in terms of, like, the violence of it. I'm like, whoa, that's that's pretty intense. So I really like it. I really like that, like, as much as I do enjoy, you know, King of the Monsters and, and Godzilla vs. Kong, and even Kong Skull Island, they immediately pivoted to a much more, like, kind of, like, pulpy, you know, like, science fiction action-adventure tone, you know? Um, whereas the 2014 Godzilla is very serious in comparison, and I like that right. This There's is a... not as much emotional core yes, in those totally. other ones. Like right. they try, but it, the the Millie Bobby Brown and uh, Vera Farmiga, they, yeah, they that can't doesn't quite make really it work. work. And they're surrounded by characters yeah. making jokes and quips and all this shit. Um, God which is fine. Which is fine. Yeah, yeah which is yeah. that's that its own place, you know. Uh, but the 2014 one, it tried for like a human drama element that didn't fully work, the Aaron Taylor Johnson and all. And already I'm way more invested in these characters. So I'm like, this is yeah. doing that better and still delivering some really fun monster stuff. And so, yeah, I'm excited to watch the rest of it. Just like you, I want to make it last a little bit. Um, and then, God damn it, we have Minus One coming out like pretty Got soon. Got my IMAX tickets. Yeah. yeah so, uh... Can't wait for us to talk about that. All right, we need to discuss. Oh uh, yes, we do. That every everybody has, whether or not they are in their lives, have been supportive, constructive individuals. We all have parents. Yeah, you have a mom, you have a dad. They, um, you know, he inserts his penis into her vagina, <laughs> and then nine months later, uh-huh. you're born. Well, Greg, I'm sorry to like break we, this to we you. Have to take of, of how consider- it happens. We have to take into consideration that there's people out there who were listening that could have been uh, the result of artificial insemination of some sort. That's true. You know, that's or true. Or maybe a surrogate, or maybe they were adopted. I mean, even if you're adopted, uh, somebody, you know, yeah. But all right, yes, if, you know what if, I'm saying. If a turkey baster filled with cum, <laughs> God, <laughs> all the right, magic uh, of childbirth. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this movie takes place. In the 50s, in sunny California. Mm. Um, That's right, my neighborhood. Have a, lo- yeah. a lovely family. I feel like it's kind of not LA, but it was, shot in, it was shot in Toronto. Yeah, but uh, okay. I don't well, know. I don't know exactly yeah. where it's supposed to take place. I would say like maybe like Pasadena. 
some kind of suburbs for. obviously yeah. yeah yeah maybe Burbank. usually i don't think there's many like chemical uh factories in oh, no, la proper uh, no i mean just outside of probably it's probably like city of industry burbank yeah like that area okay if I'm guessing okay then, yeah, yeah 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 uh you have this lovely family that's moving in uh from massachusetts they're dancing mom and dad seem to really love each other yeah and uh perhaps the son loves his mom a little too much that's pretty much the whole theme of the movie right no i mean that, that's a part of it but i wouldn't say that's the whole thing but it's absolutely a no factor. i but also I, say, first I think we, that we, is we start there's with, a jealousy part of it that's part yes that's 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 a piece of it for sure but um yeah we do start though with a black and white photo of a close-up of his eyes it's very eraser head it's like exactly that almost a, i mean it's it's more punched in but eraser head starts with that close-up of uh henry's face yeah. right just like in that void this starts with just a black white photo of uh, Michael's eyes before we go to the credit sequence, which is like you got this 50s song playing over it. I forget which one it is exactly, but it's a lot of shots of the Oldsmobile, you know, and then <laughs> the title comes up over the grill and then it gets like ripped apart by the car, which is kind of a fun detail. It's it's fun. Yeah. I Bob Balaban has a lot of interesting directorial choices. He does. There's a lot of surreal dreams oh, in this movie. The whole movie, yeah. Which, I um I feel like this is a direct influence to the Sopranos. Oh, I don't think without parents dude, you a, would have Sopranos. That's a great comparison because I think they they approach dreams in a very similar way. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. It, it is it's like perfect in between between like how Lynch does dream stuff and then how uh, David Chase would do it in that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a good comparison. Um, I was gonna say too. Like I also just think. This was Bob Balaban's directorial debut. He talked about in an interview he had barely directed anything. Like he had directed, he was directing like Penn and Teller stuff, like live things for them. Okay. When he got this Interesting. job, yeah. And he was saying too that like uh, Vestron, they did a really interesting thing where basically they're like, all right, since it's you know kind of your first like job, we want to see like a book of shots you want to do, right? So as opposed to like I don't know, it is different than how it you know, he kind of thought people would do it. So he got to sit down and for like a period of several days, planned out all these very interesting shots he wanted to do, put them in a book. And Feshwan's like, okay, here's the budget for them, essentially. You know, so like, it was really oh, well planned out. Okay. Um, huh. And it was a different way of kind of doing things. And so he got to, he says he felt like he got to like experiment a lot, which is pretty cool for a first feature. Yes. He compared it to My Boyfriend's Back, which he is very embarrassed of. He does not like that movie um he says he loves the cast for it and he says he worked with a lot of friends but he was like i had like zero control on that thing like we yeah. started with one movie um, and it turned into something else completely yeah it it's funny i didn't do it in recommendations because i i was watching all of the hunger games movies uh because oh, yeah. i never saw the fourth one yeah i've never seen the last Brittany two wants to go see the new one and um it i was thinking about it because that's philip seymour hoffman's like right film debut and then watching him in uh, Mockingjay, Catching Fire, like all of these movies where his last film features. Yeah. And it is it is just a, a stark comparison. Yeah. He sounds horrible in those movies. You, I'm like, how much heroin are you already on? I remember him Philip? being pretty it's, good, though, in the second one. Is that when he first appears? He, I think he's good in that one. Yeah. And then the next one, it's like, there's a big dive. And that's the last one that they like... He had finished filming. Right. 
there's a couple scenes in four where you're like, okay, they they did this, and then there's other times where I'm like, that's fully CGI, or this is a whole um, just taken from another of the films and right. put in here. Yeah, I had to do some creative um, editing and shit to like finish yes, it up. Yeah, yes. I think they gave a, like some of his dialogue to Julianne Moore, which I also I was like, that's a fun reunion from Magnolia. Yeah, that's true. You know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Bob. Bet- he talks about it, like you know meeting. He called him Phil Hoffman because they were friends. Mm. Um, he talks about meeting him for the first time and like he he they were you know they were good friends and he says that like basically in a somehow non egotistical way he was just like hey just so you know like I can play anything <laughs> he's like I can um, you know like I can do drama I can do romance I can do whatever it's just like so don't think I'm just like this dumb jock in this movie essentially. And he was okay. like, and he was, like and he was right. He's like, he was like the one actor that can like make that claim and like back it up, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool stuff. So, uh, but anyway, I was just going to say, I, this, the, the, you're right with the, the weird directorial flourishes. Like it really does feel like this is his first feature and he's really going all out trying to prove himself in a way. Um, yeah. I guess I'm going to establish this right now. I, I've already picked up from your tone and your letterbox review, how you feel about this movie. And, I just I think I've remarked recently how we've been on the same page a lot. This is not the case. I I was so impressed by this and talking about my boyfriend's back, you know, like that was a movie where it throws a ton of potential in that premise and it's a really shoddy product and Bob Alban is the first person to agree with that. Um so going into this like knowing, you know, having seen that movie, I just like thought that okay, from this premise, it's going to be a little boy whose parents are cannibals with Randy Quaid as the dad. This is going to be slapsticky and goofy and silly. Here's the thing. I really am confused as to why I keep seeing this called a dark comedy in places or, like, referred to as a comedy or people criticizing it saying the comedy doesn't work because, to me, it's really it's barely ever making jokes or going for comedy. And even Balaban never even talked about it as a comedy. He only talked about the horror aspect of it, which that's what it is to me. To me, it's just a really fucking well done, extremely like compelling, like psychological I, horror movie. That's exactly maybe what it took from, took from it. Dark comedy is not the right term. Maybe a light horror movie. I wouldn't would even say the, light horror. I would say the flip of that. Maybe I think but... there's a t- there's a tone to it. I mean, especially with it being. PG or whatever it is, like, from the perspective, the, like, a subjective from a child, like, it never gets into a totally horrific sense. Yeah. Um, I think there are not laugh-out-loud co- comedy, but, like, very tongue-in-cheek or set up for your expectations to be different, just compared to, of, like, what you expect from the um, nuclear 50s family, it, okay, and then so, we have these, yeah, it's, these it's, like, it's, cannibals. It's satirical, and I think it's using the horror for satire. Um, yeah. Uh, it's it's absolutely, like, it's a contrast, right? But I wouldn't say it's making comedy out of it, but it's still a sat because satire doesn't necessarily mean comedy. But, like... Um, <laughs> okay, well, I got yeah. I got a direct point against this. Okay. Um, one of the first things you see is them grilling, and he has one of those extended grill seasoner. Just the way that those two are making human meat oh, yeah. is comedic in oh, itself. No, I, I, it is a funny image. I would agree with that. I'm not saying it's devoid of comedic 
elements at all. I would just say that like I I just kept seeing this criticized because this is there's a pretty mixed response to this from what I can gather. You know, yeah. Um, I I will say with each viewing, I think my opinion of it has increased. Yeah. I still think it is deeply flawed, and I think it is. I'll get to it like more in my final thoughts, but I just I don't think there's enough of an idea here. Okay. Sure. To warrant what we're going through so <laughs> um right. uh we have michael who's afraid of the dark he's been having nightmares his dad tells him about like you know you can be yourself in the dark it's a lovely place but the darkest thing that we all have to worry about is inside our own minds he said yeah there's there's one dark place you have to be careful in the most or something like that that's so th- i mean this is my another counterpoint i that to me is really scary right off the bat because the intensity of Randy Quaid, even when he's trying to be this friendly father figure, even before we even see how bad things will become later, that to me was a very scary moment. And I will say, I just think that we talked about perspective with like Last Duel. This to me is such a good movie in portraying events from a child's point of view. Where yes. those yes. maybe even those darkly comedic images, like the seasoning of whatever, you could make the argument that it's exaggerated because we're all it's all Michael's head, and yep. we very quickly establish that he's an unreliable narrator, and so I, I just think, but getting like Randy Quaid right in front of the camera like that, you know, face right there doing this thing in that really creepy way, where when he's doing that you get an actual sense of, like, craziness from him. And again, it really yes. helps that it's Randy Quaid. Like, it's, There's a detachment from yes, those eyes where you're totally. like, yes. And I think most of the shots, he's a little damp or, like, sweaty. Right. And he's got, them. like, his hair is, got, is, like, gelled or, like, something, mm-hmm. you know. But then, like, the big glasses. The thick glasses, yeah. Um, so, the yeah. Co- it's like, the 50s costuming, There's it, it does a lot to... It uses the, the period really well. And it's that blue velvet yes. thing of like you know it's the fifty suburbs and there's this darkness between it right or beneath it, but it's like it's on Quaid's face like the glasses and the slicked back hair can't contain the unkempt craziness inside you know it's it's real oh God I look I'm gonna wax poetic about this movie I was blown away by this um, and it could have been my expectations but I just want to say too this even like the first shot right after the credits is a really cool split diopter shot where you have Michael's face in the foreground and profile, other than the parents in focus in the background. Um, you know what I mean? With like that kind of blurry split diopter thing between. But it's such oh, a sure, yeah. it's such a great, compelling shot right off the bat. I love the way this thing looked. The music is really good. Music original music by Angela Badalamenti, David Lynch's I didn't see that biggest oh, wow. biggest, you know, uh, music contributor. And he does an amazing job with the gross atmospheric creepiness of like the ambient noise surrounding everything it's i loved this man i loved this movie uh, wow okay. wow i was gonna All try right. to uh, contain this till the end but i just couldn't do it we started talking about it and it's like and i gotta just let it out you see mom and dad having a midnight snack at the fridge i love that she's playing footsie with him yeah uh we learned that michael has a lot of very surreal dreams Especially if he doesn't wear his PJs to bed, <laughs> which, which is, is just yeah. a really kind of odd, odd note. And like his mom's like, "Well, that's the only time you have, you have dreams." It's one of the first ones is him uh, taking, getting up, taking his PJs off, and then diving back into bed, and it becomes like a giant 
pool of blood. Yeah, this Again, was so, very uh, like surreal, beautiful, yeah. Sopranos esque. I love like I'm that expecting because... um, Big Pussy to start talking <laughs> out of a little fish. Yeah, you remember totally. that one? Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, uh, it, on the Sopranos pinball machine, there's a talking fish with Pussy's voice. Yeah, <laughs> um, and you can shoot it into his mouth. Uh, but uh. Yeah, that moment, again, really surprised me because, like, I was still figuring out the tone of this thing. And when he, like, starts diving in slow motion, I'm like, what, are the, what kind of fucking weird choice is this? And then he hits the bed and falls on the blood. And I was like, <gasps> like, it genuinely got, like, a gasp out of me, you know. Uh, yeah, okay. that's that's great stuff. Um, Bob Balaban said that, like, that this this movie was very much the story of his childhood. And he was like, he made the, he's like, my parents are great people. But it's just that disposition of being this kid afraid of everything, not understanding the adult world and being terrified of every aspect of it, right? Like, that's really what he brought to this, like, from his personal experience, you know? Oh, sure. Um, I mean, and he definitely, see, he's a very fragile child. Yeah. And I could see Balaban being quite <laughs> oh, similar to, yeah, to yeah, how exactly, Michael yes. is. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Very soft-spoken, very weird. Uh, so we're, we're in his school. Um, there's two new kids in the classroom. Sheila, who is just from a different class, and they put her in here. I'm guessing because she's a bit of a handful. Um, and Michael, they get introduced. The uh, teacher asks them to, to, to tell them something new that they don't know. Uh, Sheila's like, well, if you make a martini with an onion, it's called a Gibson. <laughs> and then Michael... Uh, when asked if, to teach him something new, he goes, "Well, if you if you take a black cat and you broil it in the oven and you peel off the bones from the skin and you chew on the bones, you'll become invisible." God, so fucking creepy. Such a weird kid, and I can't imagine Balaban's like remembering <laughs> a childhood. Yeah. Like, thing, and be like, oh, yeah, I told people how to turn invisible. Like, those kind of things on the playground where you're... People are, like, extravagantly lying. Yes. Oh, yeah. Or just, like, that weird kid behavior of, like, oh, and you grew up into a normal person? Like, that? how? Inter weird. Yeah. Like, there's a story... Yeah. Uh, so, like, Ryan Gosling has said, in, in, like, that he was a weird kid, and one day he brought knives to school and threw them at other students... And it's like, oh, okay, well, that sure interesting. So you were that type right. of kid. Wow, okay. But I feel like that's a privileged thing of like, well, I was white Canadian kid, so <laughs> I didn't go to juvie. I, I instead became a Disney Channel star. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I was a mouse. I became one of the <laughs> biggest movies of 2023. Yeah, I have a hit single, a hit album yeah. from this movie. Yes, yeah. Um, I guess, like, two. I guess he would have two, because there's the I am Ken, and then Push is also him. Oh. Um, so as they're walking out of school, Sheila is telling Michael that she's from the moon, that shees an alien. Uh, like, weird kids coming together, bonding. Great. Very sweet. She's, like, a foot and a half taller than him. The, ac the actress yeah. was, like, four years older than he was, I believe. Yeah. You can definitely tell uh, when Balaban talked about they're just, grilling him. Just real quick, they talked about the casting of um, uh, the actor for Michael Brian Medorsky. That he was saying that they were going around to different, like you know, they were auditioning these kids, and they were all like, you know, um, uh, like <laughs> like bright eyed, you know, rosy cheeked actor kids, you know. Yeah. Um, and he like it was like, no, that's wrong for what we're looking for. 
So they, they ended up like I need the a casting, sickly kid. Kinda. This almost exactly is what he said. But he says like the, the casting director had him going to different Canadian schools and watching kids play at recess. And he was just like, I feel like we're praying on this is not right. But it was like the neighbor of somebody working in the movie or something was this, was the Madorsky family. And the dad was a very strict, like, former Marine. The mom was very quiet and submissive. And then there was Brian Madorsky, who he says, like, I took a... He's like, so not only is this the story of, of Balaban's life, like, childhood, he says that, like, we based a lot of, like, we kind of rewrote some scenes based on this real kid, the actual actor, who hmm. didn't go on to do anything else, like you mentioned, you know, but he felt... He feels so naturalistic in this. Um... You know, so like when he's talking with uh, with Sheila about her being from the moon, it feels so much like a real conversation from kids where he does not understand sure. what she's saying, really. But there's a weird belief to it of like, oh, you're from the moon? Like, okay. And he's just kind of naturally curious about it. And I, I was really impressed with his acting all the way through. Um, and uh, Wow. Yeah, well, I, what the... F- I don't. I. I mean, he's one, a child. I get it. This but is one it, that it's, baffles it's, me. Yeah, he's a disturbed there, there's kid. There's times but. where it's 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 I guess lost, which maybe they're not capturing the the horror of it. I don't know. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> they are, are at dinner, and mom is trying to get information from Michael about this new girl that he meets, and he says that she's an alien, and I love the mom's responses. Oh foreign <laughs> like asking that um and randy quaid tells him to eat your meat yeah because uh, michael's very we established earlier that he does not eat the meat that they cook right yeah uh they're continuously having leftovers that's that's another funny thing i like about it um so in the middle of the night i think michael from not eating gets a little hungry comes into the living room and sees his parents fucking and this sets him a spiraling out um, to where he is becoming jealous of his father and accusing him of eating other people because he thought he saw his dad chewing on his mom's neck. Yeah. Uh, I Look, the jealousy part, I think, is absolutely a factor. I think, moreover, though, it's just a fear of sexuality in general. But, but, the, but the edible aspect is 100% there. I think you're right. I mean, I'm not saying it's right. not there. I just think that it's... It is a big factor. I just don't think it's like the overarching theme of what happens to him. I think it is more just a fear of the adult world and sexuality, you know, like this misunderstanding of it. And he's growing up in a time and a place where you cannot talk about those things with kids. You cannot explain it. It's all repressed. It's all repressed. Right. right. And um, it's being, you know, conflated in his mind with new feelings he's having for Sheila that he doesn't understand and a, a you know a deeply dark like you know view of his father and what his father does for a living you know um which is also really good commentary to me of like just america at this point in time you know like oh yeah yeah the attitude we present versus what we're actually doing to our country the world you know what i mean and like what is the we come? get to that yeah. in in a second. So one of the next things is uh, they're asked in school to draw a family tree. And Michael is, you know, a surreal artist. is like real red and, and black picture. Yeah. Doesn't really make any sense. Um, and basically it gets shared with the social worker. And uh, the mom and her have a, a conversation. Michael ends up going to work with his dad at Toxico. 
a chemical company. That, see, this is one of the more, I, I, like I said, there's absolute comedic elements. Naming it Toxico is it's, 100% it's direct like super, parody of it. Yes. Super on the nose. Yeah. Uh, um, it's funny. Randy Quaid is basically working on something that they would love to have in the Green Inferno. Yeah. You just spray it on, like, uh, plants and in the jungle. You wait for the monsoon season to come, and it turns everything into mulch. It's like a version of, like, so, Agent Orange that we did actually yeah, use in Vietnam. Yeah. And Korea, or Korea, actually, more specifically, not Vietnam. But, like, um, but maybe both. But, uh, yes. And I... <laughs> I saw comparisons in some review I was reading between this and Return of the Living Dead with this, because it's like, that's that's what the chemical in Return of the Living Dead is kind of based on, too, is Agent Orange. Um, I just thought that was a fun comparison with this. Uh, but yeah, like, and I really like the way that they explain it. And then that weird, the guy's attitude, is it Sheila's father? I don't remember. But the it guy is was Sheila's just father, like, the yeah. magic of chemicals, Michael. Like, yeah. Uh, I really, it's true. I do like that scene. I like the coldness, which, like, like all this stuff is, like, shot. Like, the the you know the room that they're in just feels so like sterile and icy in a way um dude i fucked with this movie like every <laughs> every every moment yeah i uh, don't know uh michael goes and talks to the social worker and she does it's not a rorschach test but she just shows him a picture of a mom and a dad like uh undoing a bed and yeah. it sets michael off what are they looking at what are they looking at I, so, and, um, talking about his acting again, I, I think he does a great job with this, that he is one way with his parents, he's very quiet, does not even speak to them a whole lot. He speaks to his mom way more than he talks to his dad. Oh, um, yes, yeah. And then with the social worker and the teacher and Sheila, he's got this different attitude where it's these moments where we're actually, I think the social worker especially, we're finally viewing him outside of his own head. The rest of the movie is from his perspective, and then these social worker scenes are kind of from hers. And so Michael is acting a little different than he does in every other scene where like she's talking about like, you know, hey, what do you think they're doing here? And he's like, well, you know, you know what I mean? He's being very hostile to, to her this entire time. Right. That in a way that he's not the rest of the movie. So I just think it's a really good way of showing like really establishing what an unreliable, unreliable narrator he is when we get a scene that's from someone else's perspective. Mm hmm. The uh, we find out that Dad is basically getting the meat from cadavers at work, um, talking about how he wants like pureed liver, and then it cuts to them cooking in the kitchen. Uh, Michael has a weird fantasy about a sausage in the pantry closet. I love this, yeah. That descends and is wrapping itself around him. Um, yeah, those fucking gross. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, is very phallic in certain senses. Yeah. Uh, oh, and it's just, there's a weird moment I want to shout out to when, after he draws the picture, it's before he meets the social worker when they call his mom in, Lily, and um, the social worker, like, she drops a cigarette on the floor and she has to go under the desk to get it. Like, it's this really weird, unnecessary moment just that, that just adds a little bit of strangeness to the scene. You know? I guess so. I, I, I love it. comes to me as like, we have to extend this movie somehow. No, you have shot 70 minutes All worth right. of film, Bob. Okay. This I, can, uh, we cannot no, release this movie. Hold on. How, Eraserhead is about the same length as this, right? And I feel like Eraserhead's like five minutes longer. But still, I don't think that... I think there's more meaning to whatever David Lynch is doing in Eraserhead versus... I think there's so much... I think Bob there's so Bowman much, and Parents. I think there's so much meaning to Parents. But, like, uh, but 
I was gonna say, like anything that Lynch does in that in this in this vein, you you go crazy over the dad at the dinner table in Eraserhead or him Look fucking at my with, knees. him fucking with his knee. Like it's the same type of thing with the cigarette. It's just this little moment of weirdness to like make things awkward and strange in a way that is honestly weirdly realistic. Because nothing ever like you know what I mean. You a normal meeting with somebody, you come and sit down. Weird things happen. They maybe they have to go into their desk and grab right. a cigarette, and they're gonna look weird we and awkward didn't for a couple minutes. Like even talk about how she is. She the social worker is like a hippie. Yeah, I mean obviously because she is a social because worker I, I, in the fifties. I, I think at this time wild it'd be hair. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like the just the actual like dress of her. She has the giant purse, which. Yeah has, you know, survived for 60, 70 years of fashion. Um, Michael's always questioning why they're eating leftovers. Yes. They moved, like, a couple weeks ago, and all we've been doing is eating leftovers. Uh, he wants to go to bed early. He has another dream about the arm and the garbage disposal and blood dripping from the Great. fridge. I like this one. Love it. I think this is one of the best of the dream sequences. Going, betwe- yeah. going between the black and white and color is really cool. Yeah. Um, the the yeah. slow motion shot of him running down the hallway with like the different things like superimposed over it. That's great stuff. That's it's, it's very it's very David Lynch. Yeah. It's a little weird. It's you can tell that these were like two ideas that he put together because half the time he's in like pajamas and a robe and then at w- a couple shots he's in like uh you know day dress with a coat and everything i think it's part of this i it, think it's part of the dream factor you know like yeah i think you're wanting to forgive this movie for something i, I, I don't know i, I mean like, I, don't I think it's part it's of not it so intentional so, look th- this is a big thing of this movie this is one of these classic things where it's like the the entire movie it's unreliable narration that's that's what this entire thing is right and everything we're seeing, except for some a very few scenes, are from Michael's perspective. And we've established he cannot tell when he is awake or when he is dreaming. Like, he just does not know. And that is a huge factor of this entire movie. We do not know if we actually went and saw his father cutting up human bodies for meat. We don't know if he actually saw that. We don't know if the social worker sees a human body near the end of the movie. We, we have no idea. We don't know if any of this is actually happening. The sausage didn't come out of the fucking closet and actually strangle him. We see that for sure that didn't happen, you know. Right, but we know because of the music playing that it's a joke. Not really. No, the joke. The music is like all weird, creepy, atmospheric. Like <laughs> you're Angela being way too serious. You're being so serious about parents. Yeah, because it's a serious movie. This is hilarious. It's a serious movie. I really, I'm no, I am honestly so confused as to what I was missing while I was watching. Like after I was, after I had watched, it, I was reading reviews of it. People were like, "Oh, the jokes don't work," and I'm like, "When was it really trying to be a comedy? It's not trying to do that." Bob Babin doesn't talk about it as like, hey, yeah, the comedy parents I made. He, in this interview, he took it very seriously. He says it's a story of his childhood and like his childhood fears, right? And that he was he was attached to, like, you know, his interest in the script because of the, you know, the talk about this time period he grew up in and the darkness underneath it and that childhood view of adulthood, right? And terrifying you and kids not understanding you know the world of sexuality as you're growing up like it he took it seriously so i'm taking it seriously i don't know the movie to me is it's meant to be taken seriously when i watch it like that's that's what i get out of it like i'm not and i'm not joking with all this stuff of perspective like they established very early on he does not know reality from his own dreams and his dreams are twisted and terrifying and it results in him being a very strange unusual boy 
that adults don't understand, and that includes his own parents, right? They don't get him. And his dad even says later, his dad doesn't even like him. His dad is scared of him. Right. You're not like, you don't look like me, you don't act like me, you don't like me. Right. I'm not a big fan of you either. And that, to me, speaks to such a fucking, that's an incredibly universal, like, generational conflict. Parents and children not understanding each other, leading to rifts that, that, that they sometimes don't get over and can explode into, like, you know, either emotionally or physically violent, you know what I mean, like, conclusions. Like, it's... To me, this movie Stemming is from so, is, why do you get to sleep with mom and I don't? I not even psychologically, right? That's what people would would argue is going on in in all. Yeah, totally, right? I mean, that's the thing. Edible complexes, sure, but like to me, this movie is speaking to something very deep and interesting, not unlike Eraserhead. Uh, okay, I do. I, uh, Sheila ends up skipping school. <laughs> She uh, is randomly in Michael's tree in his front yard, uh, and they decide to trash his house as uh, Chantilly Lace yeah. plays "Hello, Baby." Fucking big uh, from bopper. 1958. Yeah. Oh, big bopper, love him to death. Um, she steals some of the wine and starts drinking it. They end up. Well, this is another of the weird sexual aspects of the show or movie that she is in the freezer. And tells Michael to take his shirt off. Yeah. She won't be doing anything until he takes his shirt off. And then they're, like, pouring wine over each other. Yeah. Again, just kids kids not knowing the adult world, wanting to be part of it, but being scared right. of it. And then this is the way that they... This is Sheila at the very... I really like Sheila's character. I thought the actress was really good, too. But um, just, again, they, they have to play adults in order to try to figure out what's happening. Right? Like, what is right. going on their fucking weird-ass parents? Uh, I think she's we skipped having the... some fantasy about them running away yeah. together, I think driving we... the country. Yeah, we skipped the part I think about them going to the uh, Sheila's house for the poker night, where they're literally just eating. They call it corn checks. They're eating corn checks and marshmallows, and she's like, "How yeah. did you make this food?" See, that is one of the comedic moments to me that really worked. Like, what was you know what's what's the and it's like it's just corn checks and marshmallows. <laughs> No, um, there's more to it. She got it on the side of the corn that's right, box. Yes. Yeah, but it really is. And just, she exchanged right. marshmallows for raisins. Her raisins. Uh, for I do love it yeah. that. But yes, uh, she's she, the mom's getting drunk because they're serving uh, Long Island iced teas. Oh yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot. But to even it. that too, um, I like that as well because the kids are 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 watching at this point. They're you know they're spying on them. There's also a great. I don't know where it is, but Mike. But uh, Michael gets another talking to his dad about like how watching people gives you power over them, right? Mm-hmm. Which is another really creepy Randy Quaid like speech. Uh so they're watching he the sells parents. It. Yeah, they're watching the parents and like it's it, that's another weird adult thing. It's like, oh, this tea is making me like what did she I forget exactly what she says, but oh this this tea is from Long Island, you know. But it's this weird sort of code, you know what I mean, about like alcohol and adult right. things. And even the Gibson thing of like who she I don't know if Sheila even knows really what a Gibson or Martini is. But this is the stuff she hears from her parents, and it's like, you know, they all have these kind of cutesy names. Right. A martini, a Gibson, like a Long Island iced tea. It's yeah. You absorb from your parents and that and that's who at, at a time you want to become. Yeah. And this is Michael coming to an idea of that he doesn't want to become his parents. Yes. Even though he envies his father for what he has obtained in life, he still like disagrees with him and on that to me is a protein consumption. That to me is an incredibly like uh, relatable universal concept 
this idea of right. Like, I just looking at your parents as models of what you can and might become, right? And dredging up these feelings of like, do I want to become my dad, right? You know, like I get it. Yeah. I can applaud his effort. I like the ideas, the flourishes he is trying to do. I just think the execution is continuously Flawless. falling on its face, <laughs> or or just or just not getting it across. Um, there is a point where yeah, he tells the story about the naughty boy and his parent. Like he ends it with like, and how do you think that made his parents feel? Yeah. Yeah. Bringing it all back to them and how Michael's actions also reflect onto them. Uh, we have the whole thing about uh, Michael sneaking into Toxico as he watches his dad cutting into bodies. I, I I see what you're saying with the like subjectiveness. We don't know if this is real. It feels real because later on, when after he drops the scissors, Michael has them. And as he's walking home, you know, his dad pulls up and he's like, hey, you know... I can give you a ride uh, into the foxhole, soldier, which yeah. I thought was just a real, um, like, buddy-buddy moment but of, also, of like, a dad. Maybe like, reveal that his dad served in World War II, possibly, too. Right. But, um, right. Also, but yeah, so, I mean, you're right. It, it, it feels real, but it's only because, again, we're watching everything from Michael's perspective, and to him it feels real, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's the big laundry bag in so the back. So tired of me talking about it this way, but it's... I, I, you have no idea. Um, the, mom, there's a big laundry bag in the back, and mom is so upset. Like, do you know what dinner looks like? And I love her turn on a dime when it, it. She's like, "Oh, do you see that? Daddy brought home the laundry." Um, the another one where he wakes up and investigates the cellar. To find a giant leg hanging on a rack, uh, or a big hook, and he runs back up to his bed, and that's where his Randy Quaid is already sitting. Yeah, very on the fucking bed, creepy moment. Um, interrogating him, and uh, really, you know, cute thing of like, oh, he had a, a little snack cake in his pocket as an alibi. Um, you know, tomorrow in the morning, you're gonna brush your teeth twice as hard and twice as long. <laughs> That felt like a dad thing. Oh, 100%. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he is telling the social worker about these issues, like family issues, very vaguely, uh, describing how he walked in on them having sex, or we see it in his head. Yeah. And it is a much more violent memory of, like, yeah, way more blood, blood and, right. and viscera. When he first everywhere. sees them, like, there is, I think it's lipstick around his mouth when he yeah. pops his head yeah. up. And then, yeah, in, in this flashback, it's blood, right? So and that like that is my indicator that the first the first time we're seeing it is the more reality yeah. version of it and as it has been you know turning around in his psyche that it this is why he thinks his parents are eating people. I mean we're barely kind of dancing around it like do you think that they are actually eating people? Uh I mean I probably not but in the narrative of the movie to Michael, yes, you know, that's what matters, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, I think things we again we can't know this this idea of perspective that you don't want me to talk about anymore, like is so key to this, you know. So no, I think it's it's fine. It's like we understand we understand your point. Yes. I know it's just like you. Uh, yeah, I get that, but I just I think it's so important, you know, and the stuff you bring anyway. Um, so I don't know. I mean, that's the thing is we don't know. That's part of the horror of it. We have no idea. He could actually be a cannibal. He probably isn't, but, like, 
you know, we only ever see things so from this whole eyes, so yeah. Next point is from the is with the social worker right. and that I feel that is indicating yes they are cannibals. This is real of her seeing the body in the basement, which is then I think the most impressive shot of the movie yeah. is from her face. It keeps pulling out through the ductwork of the house up through the piping and then you see the car pulling into the driveway. Yeah. Uh, he describes um, in the interview, he gives a full description of how they pull that off, and it's really impressive stuff. Again, his first directorial effort, you know, and he managed to do I, stuff like this. It's awesome. Commendable. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Um, a little rough at times, but I, I think it is a very impressive shot for a first-time filmmaker. Um, the, she runs up and gets locked into the closet, and I think this might be this the best. This is like, so good. Yeah. Horror of the movie is she's trying to look through the little slats, like breaks a couple, and then you get a knife almost coming at her eye. Um, keep stabbing, stabbing, not hitting her. I love the one where she puts the knife in and she grabs it by the hands. <sighs> oh, God. Yeah. Um, very hard for me. I, As I've discussed, yeah. I have big hand things, and like that is one of them of just like a knife coming through it. Oof. Oof. Um, she ends up coming out of the closet and then gets hit with a golf club. We cut to mom and dad grilling with, again, the, the very extended seasoner. Yeah. And I really, I really love that look. Um, as dad comes in with the big plate of meat, Michael hits him in the stomach. The and we see him yeah. fall down. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this is another one of just the little touches that are, is really good. As Dad is talking to Michael about all this, he's tied up on a chair at the the dining room table, and the table is spinning oh, so the good. entire time. Yeah, um, just gives it a real like you're, you're off kiltered from it. Um, the whole background is spinning, like you feel a little nauseous watching it. And Randy Quaid is basically saying like. I'm going to untie you. You can go and tell whoever you want. They're either not going to believe you or they're going to come and take away your family. They're going to burn us. Yeah. Yeah. They will says. kill us. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, another great shot is that he does it um, like offers him the meat. And then we have a very large kitchen table. Yeah. At this time, it's very been like just like a circle, and now when he's like walking to Michael, like it's a very he has to take the time. There's a lot of shadows in the background, and as Randy Quaid is uh, cutting a little piece of meat and about to feed it to Michael, Michael takes the knife and stabs him pretty close to the heart, not directly. It's, yeah, it's like above his, to like, where he dies, right above his chest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, that's when, uh, Randy Quaid says, kids, who made the little bastards? Great. <laughs> As he's, like, trying to crush his head. Yeah, this is so intense. Um, yes. almost like Bart Simpson, like, Homer trying to, <laughs> to strangle him to a degree. Hey, we almost lost, I don't know if you've been following the news on that, but it was announced I that, did, they, yes. that they may not do it anymore, and then they reverse it. Yeah. Time. But, you know, Homer will continue to strangle Bart. Yeah, we're not changing anything. Yeah, um, the mom is upset about this. She does really love Michael. She is from her loins. First they came, and Randy Quaid's a... like, "We can have another one. Uh, we'll raise it right this time." First they came for. He won't be such loins, a little weird said, shit. 
Sorry, hold on. First they came for Apu's voice, and I said nothing. You know, then they came for Carl's voice, and I said. Then they came for Homer strangling Bart, and no one is left to defend it. Who does Carl? Was uh, that a Hank Azaria? I think so. Maybe he just wasn't. He just wasn't black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. And now it is. Yeah. Now it's a black actor. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> sorry. I had to force that stupid no, joke. S- still, one of my favorite Simpsons joke is. Homer talking to Lenny and Carl, and he just looks at his hand, and it says, Lenny White, <laughs> Carl, Carl Black. Black. Yeah. Um, so the mom uh, ends up standing, uh, stabbing Randy Quaid in the back, and, um, you know, they kind of share a moment, you know, they love each other, it's, and It's he, shot like their sex scene, kind of, when he's, yeah. A little bit, yeah. And uh, he ends up stabbing her, I think with her knife, kind of turns it in, Falls on her um, kiss, and then Michael goes to hide in the basement, and we haven't even talked about how Randy Quaid is a wine connoisseur, yeah, and has like a giant rack in the. I guess we mentioned it was Sheila drinking some wine, right? But um, it's coming down. He's he's hurt. He eventually stumbles over to the wine, and the whole wine rack falls on him, essentially killing him. Um, which is the one of the ways I wouldn't mind going. That's not bad. Yeah, something <laughs> that you love, you know, crushing you. Yeah. Um, we uh, find out that he goes to live with his grandparents. So well, he damages and... a gas main when. So when they're struggling oh, at the table, right. they knock the candle over and a fire starts. Uh, when he's stumbling yes. around in the basement, he like damages the gas main, which they set up earlier with the ceiling cracks and everything too. Um, when the mom gives that kind of sweet speech, like explaining how. The heater works right like that's kind of one I, of the, and i love how that's one of the only I love touching how in moments it, in the movie in in that moment she's like you know and then the 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 pipes they contract or expand i don't know you'd have to ask your father yeah yeah but that's like one she, of the, she's not even really sure how it works that's one of the only moments of comfort in the entire him. thing yeah that that really we also me. have that moment afterwards is michael being like hey you know what we could not even need to. Oh, yeah. And comes up with this really, again, like the black cat. Yeah. It's like, you gotta gotta get someone who's hanged, and then you cut off their hands, and you throw the fires in the hand, or in the, in the hands in the fire, and they never stop burning. It burns forever, yeah, which is really creepy shit. Fucking weirdo. I love it. Fucking weird. Is um, this, you're just identifying with Michael. In a way. Throughout this whole thing, yeah. <laughs> in a way. I get it. I, I don't get know. it now. But to, yeah, um, so we'll talk about the, yeah. the house explodes. House explodes. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty. Uh, Michael now has yeah. to go live with his grandparents, who seem like a very sweet old couple. For a second, I was like, "Yeah, is that sweet. Rance Howard?" It looked, <laughs> it sounded, and looked a little bit like Rance Howard. So I could have said, you know, returning champion Rance Howard. I I love the the grandfather's carrying him to bed, and there's just a very yeah. fun grandpa line of nosedive. Wow, and he puts him in the bed. I just like the way he said. Oh, that. I thought you were going to mention how he's like, well, uh, soon you're going to be so big, you're going to have to carry grandpa yeah, to bed. That's great too. That's amazing grandpa talk for Inner. sure. Um, you know, and very sweet. They put him to bed and uh, leave him a uh, <laughs> very sandwich. tasty looking sandwich yeah. with a giant glass of milk. And um, I think another great shot of just like the kind of lowering of the camera yeah. to where, you know, you see Michael looking at the sandwich. We hear Lily's uh, voice. And then we cut, yeah. uh, we cut to the very interesting credits that they do set to one-horned one-eyed flying purple people eater 
Very apt, <laughs> yeah. I believe. Um, uh, real fun of them, like, all coming out of the house and doing poses. Um, almost like, uh, what was the, the one, um, w- with Claude Daigle, what, what's that one called? The, the evil uh, one? The, the, the child, bad seed. Um, yeah, the bad seed. The bad seed. Which I think That's kind of how the bad yeah. seed is. Which I think this yeah. movie has some similarities with, in a way. But, uh, yeah. I could see that, definitely. Um, all right, let's, uh... Give some final thoughts and rate this. What are we going to rate it out of? Um, extended grill seasoners. Uh, broiled cats. Uh, <laughs> broiled cats. That's not bad. Um, you have social workers. You got giant um, um, uh, strangling sausages. I think that's what I want to go with. Giant strangling sausages. Okay. And All right. um, since I am the host, I will begin... I believe this is a lot of interesting direction for a half-baked idea. I think the concept is there. I understand everything that you're getting at. I just don't know if there is an actual level of execution that is cementing these ideas that are, you know, turning them into the four-course meal of a motion picture. Um it feels not fully fleshed out to a degree. I, I think there just needed to be uh, more of the surreal dream sequences giving us like these elaborate um, eating scenes. I think that could have done more to it of like having a table set with actual human uh, you know, parts or, or something like that. You get like a leg h- hanging in the basement, but I don't ever feel that you get like an actual uh, disgusting moment from this food. Can I, I will say there's actually a lot of moments where they're like cutting open kidneys. Like they, they slice them open, you see the red meat inside. And then um, at the final, I think so. The final di- dinner table scene is a really well shot moment where they put the meat like down. Like the giant roast. Right, and yeah. the the way the knife comes down and the reflection of the meat in the knife, so you're seeing, like, as it's cutting it, you're seeing it reflected in the knife, too. I, mm. I think they do a great job of that stuff. Um, and it's all, like... Again, part of it is that there's supposed to be some confusion as to whether it is human meat, right? So, anyway. Right. But I'll let you continue. This is your, but I think this is your thing. As part of a, a child's imagination, it's, it's like the... Uh, version of the sex scene that we see with Randy Quaid with the more right. blood and and viscera everything. I th- I think there just needed to kind of be more of that subjectiveness or sure. I don't know. I I guess I can see what you're going out of the little little bits of it when you only see part of something and how you go about um, interpreting it as a child when you don't know everything. Actually, very similar to how the mom is interpreting, like, the gas going through the house and about the cracks in the ceiling. Um, I think all of the adults are phenomenal uh, in this movie. I, I think Randy Quaid is is really good. I think Mary Beth... I can't remember, Ruth or something. Yeah, um, yeah Mary Ann. Yeah, does, does, yeah, does, yeah. does a great job as the mom, the Mary like, 50s Hurt. housewife. Yeah. Mary Beth Hurt. Um, and then Sandy Dennis as the social worker, you, understandably a, a um, uh, Oscar winner. It feels like a real character, um, and I think partially the cigarette dropping like gives some credence to that. I think just the way that she um, smiles or acts confused when she's meeting Michael. I think she has a she has a lot of great little little moments. 
Overall, though, it is um, lacking in those, like, substantive calories that I need from from this cannibal movie. I'm going 2.3 um, strangling sausages. I don't remember yeah, what it some, was. Something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. God, that is so disgustingly low. Um, <laughs> I was maybe craving some drama on this podcast. Like, we've been agreeing too much, you know? But then, when it comes down to it, when it's a movie that I, I really loved, and I hear this kind of uh, slander about it, I mean, it, it's... Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm going to go back to us just agreeing on everything. Now, so, okay, look. This is this is a case where it's it's very confusing to me because um, you and I both love David Lynch, and obviously no one's going to match him in that department. But this is one of the closest, like, you know, I, I've seen anyone else come to making a David Lynch movie that's not David Lynch. Like, it, it is... It's on the edge of it. No one again. No one's gonna match that. And Balaban in the interview, he seemed pretty. The interviewer brought up David Lynch, and he seemed pretty like he wanted to avoid sort of talking about it, like what he kind of based it on, or if he was going for that at all. Balaban seems like okay. a, he's a very fascinating guy. Like he, I, I, I guess he's proud of this movie. I think he likes it, but I really couldn't tell from the discussion he basically was just like well it came out nobody cared about it and he's like and the interview is like how does it feel that people are you know there's a cool audience and he looks around at the audience he's like well it seems like 87 people came out to see it like you know <laughs> he's like i'm glad you guys liked it he's like it hasn't really changed my life in any kind of way i don't really he's like okay cool he's like basically it was what he told when like like oh you know there's big fantasy movies like all right kind of was like his response um so anyway I think that this movie, to me, there there is so there is a lot of substance here, and I think that I I just I really love it's one of these cases where like the stylization is that substance to me, and a big part of it is just establishing that you know that blurring that line between fantasy and reality, and what that allows you to kind of like to do, you know what I mean? Um, in terms of like <laughs> you're allowed to be weirdly satirical and vaguely cartoony sometimes like with like the big meat shaker and those images and stuff you know um as well as a little gross and it adds a whole layer to everything to me that i think just absolutely worked so like little inconsequential moments kind of like you know um the cigarette stuff even though michael's not in that scene but they just they all add this weird element of like strangeness to the movie that that i really loved um, the very creepy battlementi music throughout all of it that just sounds like you're you're like I don't know you're in a garbage disposal or something. <laughs> There's the weird atmospheric noise that you're hearing, you know, from the soundtrack. Uh, that combined with the '50s nostalgia music that they're constantly playing, it's it's a very obvious thing that like Blue Velvet also did, you know. But like again, I think that stuff automatically has substance to me. So this is taking place in the 50s, and, like, when you look at, like, Randy Quaid's job combined with the idea of, like, cannibalism, you know, like, a way to view cannibalism to me is you are subsisting off of the pain and misery of others as a metaphor, right? Like, you're you're consuming their pain and their bodies in order to, like, you know, uh, prosper yourself, right? And I think that's a extremely apt metaphor for the 50s. This is post-World War II. This is around the time of Korea, right? And where the American Empire right. is, like, very bolstered by World War II. We've got a ton of money. You know what I mean? Like, your factory job will get you, like, you know, an eight-bedroom house for your family of 15 kids. 
that kind of bullshit. Um, but and I think this movie does a great job of showing, like, using cannibalism as a metaphor for, like, all that came from us doing things like creating Agent Orange and wiping out entire ecosystems, you know what I mean, to, like, expand and fight communism or whatever. Like, I, I think that, like, I don't think that this, this movie is a, a commenting on American politics exactly, but I think that idea is baked in there. It's kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. When, uh, no, yeah, you know I, I mean? think... Like, I think... I think the 50s, there's no other way to view the 50s than America's up and coming of us taking over as the the leader of the world. Right. Really establishing and taking hold of that that title. Right. Our dominance. Yes. Right. And I think that, like, showing, like, hey, this perfect 50s world we lived in was built on the backs of, like, human remains. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that is a, that's an incredibly interesting thing to delve into and then combined with what i talked about that generational conflict idea of parents being afraid of kids not growing up like them kids being just as afraid of their parents and what they do and what they are and what they might become but not having a way to express that healthily because of the repressiveness of society i think that it this movie gets at so many interesting things and is so you know brilliantly stylized especially for a directorial debut no, very much like Eraserhead, not on that level. I have been struggling with like, what do I really dislike about this movie? And I, I can't really pick it. I, I would get, I would maybe say that like, I think the the house explosion at the end is a little much. You know what I mean? And I think that okay, um, the pacing of it was a little harmed by the ads. I think that was more the ads thing. Those kind of interrupting at weird times. But like, um, I would say maybe wanted more resolution to Sheila's character. Like she kind of just disappears yeah. from a certain at a certain point because I really thought that that was a very interesting dynamic too. I really liked Brian Godorsky's um, Godorsky, yeah, Madorsky. Brian Madorsky's performance um, in the interview. The interview. The interviewer has a really good point. I'm going to steal where he says that like his very naturalistic acting is a really brilliant contrast with the hyper fifties kind of like leave it to beaver sitcom feeling of everything else you know um where he he feels out of step with the time you know where he's yeah. looking around at this world and it's like i don't fit into any of this and he's a child and he does not know what to do with that you know what i mean like i think it's such a great conflicted performance of like again with his parents he's this very quiet reserved doesn't he's afraid to speak to them essentially right for the most part with the um with uh, the social worker, he's very aggressive and assertive. And I really like the scene where she's talking about that, of, like, he's he's really rude, right? But obviously bright. Yes. And yeah. I want to... She's like, I just want to put him in a box, but I can't. And I think that is such yeah. an interesting comment on how we even viewed, like, troubled kids at that time. Yeah. You know? It's like... You know, it, yeah. There's a, how do you, an interesting do you point do with like that? them yeah. where he tells her, you're not a real grown-up. Yeah. Would him still get upset? Is what he says. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, man, I I just really think there there is so much here. I think it's a really smart script. I think that like Battleband's direction is really innovative and creative, especially for this like low budget too. Um, there's so many great shots. Like when uh, I think it's right after he meets Sheila, maybe. But like he's coming home from school. And he walks into the foyer. I wanted to call. I yeah. I wanted to call this sh- shot it's out awesome. because it really is amazing. Yeah, it's so good. He's in there. Yeah. Dad comes, and then mom comes from the and other he's, side. And he's he's like I, trapped between yeah. them like that. Yeah, it's yeah. so cool. 
I think there's so many good shots like that. Like, man, I just was so impressed with this. And maybe a part of it is expectations. Like, I was expecting another My Boyfriend's Back, you know, which is a dumb, goofy piece of shit <laughs> that, like, completely wastes its premise and is, like, got some funny moments, but it really doesn't work to me. And, Battle again, Battleband agrees. But, no, this was, like, I thought this was a really well-done psychological horror movie. Um, with some elements of satire to it. And, like, again, it's very confusing to me that people are, like, saying it's a failure as a comedy because I'm like, I don't think it's trying to succeed as a comedy. Like, it's, yeah. So, I want to give it, like, 4.8 strangling sausages. Like, I really fucking love this. And it's hard for me to find flaws to it. It's missing that little bit to say, like, oh, all-in-out masterpiece, five stars. You know? Because, like, I give Eraserhead five stars easily. Five strangling sausages. Um, but, like, uh, I, you know, I would not put this on the level of Eraserhead. It feels, I mean, Balaban said, too, he's like, maybe this, you know, this was called derivative, and maybe it is, right? He's like, it probably is, is what he says. But I don't think he was aiming up, like, I'm going to make my own David Lynch movie. But I think that's what right. influenced him anyway. So, anyway, that's, I'm going to, I'm going to stop talking about this movie, because I can just keep going, you know. Uh, wow. Yeah, I, I knew it was going to be high. I love this. 4.8 strangling sausage. Randy Quaid wow. alone. Randy Quaid is so wow. good. He's so scary in this. He is good. He reminded me a lot of Terry, uh, Terry Quinn from The Stepfather. Stepfather, right. Yeah. Terry yeah. O'Quinn? Terry Quinn, whatever. Um, O'Quinn. O'Quinn. Yeah. But yeah, that, very similar movies to me in a way, actually. Um, you know, and that one too. That's a very similar tone of like, it's satirical. It's making fun of the nuclear family, but it's got the horror bent. That's just much more of a slasher than, you know, this is a psychological thriller. Uh, well, I think there's some points of the editing of this movie, especially with the music, where it feels like we're we're setting up for a punchline. Just like with the like, Maybe a kind little of bit, yeah. 50s like cha-cha music or something. Yeah. And then, you know. I, anyways, uh, yeah, we're going to stop talking about this because we have to uh, close the book for the month. Uh, we 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 didn't have to guess. We knew who was coming to dinner. But before we end it, we have to do what we do every month, the Masseys. And we're going to begin the Masseys the way we begin every Masseys with the Claude Daigle Memorial Penmanship Award Scholarship Fund Foundation, otherwise known as Best Kill. Mm-hmm. Um, gre- well, hold on. Let me step back and actually talk about the movies that yeah. we've watched this month. To discuss um, who who's been nominated, we yeah. have the Green Inferno, Blood Diner, Deathline, The Hills Have Eyes, and Parents. What a collection! <laughs> it's really, really insane. Who would ever think that in five weeks we would talk about these movies? Uh, but Greg, do you excuse me, Greg Gumbo? <laughs> Papa, do Greg. you yeah. have Papa Greg? Do you have an idea of who you want to give an award to for the best kill of the month? Um, yeah, there's kind of no question for me for this month. Um, it's my least favorite movie of the bunch, but it's absolutely uh, The Green Inferno. Uh, Jonah, him getting torn apart and devoured, or then cooked, I guess. Where, uh, right on the money. Yeah, That's I mean, me like, as well. Look, say what you want, it but is... Eli Roth, you can't deny the guy knows his gore. and um, Insane. It's absolutely insane, yes. Uh the drinking of the blood, eating his eyeballs, like, yeah, fucking, uh, absolutely horrifying. Yeah. It's, it's just the, the, the movement as he has yeah. no limbs anymore. Right. It, 
It's uh, it's so shocking. I think there's quite a few deaths in that movie yeah, that are like a very cl- pretty good. Very close behind it is the stoner guy getting eaten alive. Um, I think that one. I think the self suicide. Well, yeah, that's that what suicide is. But like, <laughs> is very a uh, very effective. Yeah. No, um, I mean, overall. look, that's that's uh, it's hard it's hard to say that th- those aren't like show stopping. You know what I mean? Like extremely impressive gore effects. Like that. When you think about, like, deaths in horror movies, it's hard to get more terrifying than those. Agreed, agreed. Um, All right, we're going to move on to best performance, and I already know what you're going to say before you even say it. Yeah. Donald Pleasance in Deathline. Oh, yeah, easily. Look, uh, Hugh Armstrong as the man is a very close second, um, but, like, there's there's, there's no doubt it's Donald Pleasance. It's my favorite performance from one of my favorite actors, you know? um like it's he he's so funny but also like you there's this very interesting moments in that where he is able to like kind of get a little more serious like when he gets again that one line he has of like oh the night you know the night before maggie died and that's all you need in order to feel the emotion and the weight of that like plot line or like that that detail of his character you know uh but he's so good he just he owns every scene he's in he dominates it um, even when he's going against Christopher Lee, and it, I guess it kind of helps that they're not shot and they're not in the same frame, except for like two seconds. But that is like he's going toe to toe with him, and like you know, I, I love it. He he owns that movie. So yeah, Donald Pleasance. I I think it's a phenomenal performance. I I agree. It is it is so well done. I'm gonna be a little different, so we're not always on the same page. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say the main headhunter from Green Inferno. Wow. I thought that. Just completely, you know, um, uh, non-English performance, yeah. and it's like all physical when he's high and he's like laughing totally. and like kind of whoa. Um, it's just you know, it, he really sold it from someone who had never even seen a movie before. Yeah, exactly. To, like, then give that type of performance. Yeah, it's it great was stuff. So oh, impressive. It's super cool. So great. Yeah. So well done. Um, we're gonna move on to best effect. I have another guess of yours, probably from Deathline as well. Yeah, uh, the one the, shot. The, the one shot. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, like, dude, it's hard. It's hard to say how much. Like, again, if I if I start talking about, but I just want to say it's like it's important to the movie. It's it's technically really well done. It helps like really hammer in the the themes that the movie is speaking to. Um, yeah, and it's just like dynamic and interesting to watch. So yeah, that's it. Um, I, and funny enough, I think all of mine are from the same movie. God damn it. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm going to say like, it's all green and from, like somehow that's swept. For no, him. no. From, I'm, I'm going to say that from the same movie, but, um, I'm actually going to go for best effect. I think I know. Sheetar. Yeah. Yeah. I think the body good. of Sheetar with the giant, um, uh, vagina teeth. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, I mean. Greg, that goes without saying. Um, the 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 stomach or the you know the chest thing yeah. uh, that she's painted gold that she has the big giant teeth. Uh, it's it's really phenomenal. I, I I really love just that that look. Look of if, a goddess. If it, if it wasn't gonna be the one shot to me, it was either maybe gonna be just like the. It's hard. I mean, we already gave it to the gore effects for the kill, essentially for Green Inferno. But if not those, it was gonna be um, the singer's head exploding. In, in that in the climax Great. of Blood Diner, 
because the, the ear exploding. Maybe just like really maybe just good. like his hair could be the best effect. The singer's hair, yeah, in Blood Diner, yeah. uh, really impressive. The size of that fucking thing, yeah. I also do want to point out, but uh, my runner-up for best performance is the puppet. Yeah, he's in great. Blood Diner. Don't go in there, Stan. Yeah. yeah, so good. Stan. Uh, all right, massacre of the month. Greg, do you got something for me? Yeah, uh, this one, this one, I am gonna give to Blood Diner. It's the it's the concert at the end. Like, um, ah. it's so much fun. It's so much fun. We get the zombies in our cannibalism month a little bit, which is you know, whatever. But it's but there's cool. been plenty of but cannibalism, have, like yeah. real cannibalism yes, up to that point. Exactly. So, but you, so you have like the crowd getting eating themselves essentially, which is great. Um, you have Sheetar like shooting lightning and blowing guys' heads and ears up, like. And up until his head explodes, this, the band is still playing like their thrash yeah. metal. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. It's hard for me to like really again. Th- that movie was such a journey. I really started out in a bad place with it. Like, oh no, this is gonna be total <laughs> garbage. And by the end of it, I was like, it was a fucking hoot, man. So yeah, that scene is is is, is a real real blast. Uh, mine's also from Blood Diner, but I'm gonna go with the naked aerobic <laughs> cheerleaders getting gunned down by Ronald Reagan himself. Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter, yeah, great yeah. stuff. Not nothing. I don't think I've ever seen a finer um, scene put to film. Yeah, honestly, I really don't watch Jackie no. Kong's other movies now because, like, we were just talking the other day in um and actually the Five Day Rentals Discord, we were all kind of like going over how much we like Blood Diner. Yeah. I did watch The Bean, and I did oh, not no. think it was very good. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'll watch her other movies, but, yeah. uh, I mean, Blood Diner, whenever they put that out on 4K, yeah. instant buy. I think it may have, I think it may have yeah. gone out on 4K. I don't know if you looked recently. Maybe all had, right. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, all right. Now, our seasonal award, whose cooking would you like to eat? Yeah, unfortunately, I think my precious death fund is disqualified because he doesn't cook so much as he just, like, tears into, right? I mean... Yeah. I could go for some... I mean, you could still have sashimi with them. Uh, rat soup. Yeah, some rat sashimi. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I think Blood Diner... Or, not Blood Diner. Um, I think uh, Death Line is out. Uh, let's see. So, uh, you have, like, they, they steam or smoke the meat in... Uh, <laughs> Yep, they got a and, smoker, baby. Yeah, let's let's talk about how they cook. So, like we talk about in all the movies, we have Green Inferno. They're they're smoking the meat in uh, or eating it raw, or as eating well. it raw. I, uh, Blood, Blood Diner. It seems like they got like a burger. They have burgers. They have fi- uh, they're, fish. They're turning surprises. everything. Yeah, right. In into into a like yeah, fine deep, dining, deep fried heads. Yeah. Um, and then in uh, Death Valley, like I said, it's all Hills raw. have eyes. Yeah. Hills have eyes, like, I, I guess they're they, just they cooking it over it. a fire. Yeah, it's pretty basic, you know? Not too yeah. impressive. And then in Parents, it's we, grilled and, yeah, very heavily seasoned. We never seasoned. really see them eat in Hills have eyes, right? They eat a dog. No, there's a part they where plan Papa, to eat a Papa Jupe is, like, chewing on, um... He's chewing oh, that's on right, Brock the Carter's dad. hand, yeah. Which, that's hey, right. look, yeah. also, I'm, yeah. I mean... Spoiler alert, I'm not giving it to Hills Have Eyes. Sad that it didn't win anything, but I mean, it's a great movie. It's, you know, just uh, going empty, going going home empty-handed at Massey's. It's unfortunate. Uh, I'm going to go for, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, Green Inferno. I think s- smoking your meat like that, that, that seems appealing. It sounds okay. very naturalistic. I'm sure they have yeah. other, like, in, you know, good herbs and, you know, very uh, organic, 
you know, no pesticides in any of that, right? Right, right. Um, and parents, it's like, oh, mint jellies is something they talk about at one point. Like, like you know, no thank you. Uh, not happening for me. Sorry. I I do love grilled meat, so, yeah. I mean, that's, that's really good. But I think George in Blood Diner is just really turning out some, like, fantastic-looking food. Hey, even Vitamin the, C even the Play-Doh loves in the be- it. Yeah, even the Play-Doh in the beginning, he's, you know... He's a, he's yeah, a, it looks good. Yeah, yeah. I would need um, that too. Yeah. But right, yeah, vitamin C. Yes, <laughs> vitamin. If it's good enough for vitamin C, it's good enough for us. It's becoming such a hot spot of you know LA culture that yeah. obviously um, that's where I want to go. So yeah. well, that's it for the Masseys. Uh, we're closing the book on guess who we're having for dinner, but we have to open a new one. Greg, do you want to let us know what? what we're going to be talking about all of December and what we're talking about next week. Oh, absolutely, I do. Um, you know, we come in, we're coming to the end of the year. Uh, another, another, another trip around the sun. And uh, it comes time to have to reflect on, you know, on our lives and what brought us here exactly and how did we get to this point. And what yep. better theme to explore all that with old. We're going with out with the old. Um, that's, that's the theme movies that examine age in the aging process and the passage of time and there's no other option we have to start with M. Night Shyamalan's The Beach That Makes You Old aka Old yep uh I can only refer, I, I literally in my head the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of the title is The Beach That Makes You Old that was just like a meme about it that I just really latched onto um uh god there's a Something with AI language where they use like Elon and Joe Rogan talking about it. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, the beach that makes you old. Oh, it doesn't. No, yeah, it makes you old. Yeah, it makes you old. Yeah. Jamie, mm-hmm. pull that up. <laughs> uh, pull up the beach makes you old. Yeah. So now we're talking about M Night Shyamalan's old. Uh, you have to in a in a category our, about old. Yeah. Our first Shyamalan. Correct. Yeah, I think so. I don't I don't believe we talked about him. Before. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, wow. I was gonna. There's a connection between. I mean, Balaban is in Lady in the Water. He's like the film critic ah. in that, um, or the critic, whatever. He. Uh, I think that's the only one I've never finished. Hey, I started it, but never finished. That Mary one. Beth Hurt, who plays Lily Lemley in this movie, is also in Lady in the Water. We didn't even talk about the last okay. name Lemley being a reference to Carl Lemley, who produced um, like all the old Universal monster movies. So it's a little shout out to him. He also um, I didn't even know that of, There's a theater chain, a local theater chain in LA, uh, like the Lemley Music Hall. Um, the Lemley NoHo Seven is a theater I went to to go see The Killer. So yeah, there's oh. a, yeah, uh, it's a very LA sort of like reference for the, the Lemley theaters. But yeah, well, anyway. I'm excited because uh, I can break out my 4K still book to watch it on my new TV. So thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe anywhere you're getting this podcast. Uh, We have email, weeklypodcastmassacre at gmail.com. Both Twitter, no, not Twitter, both uh, threads and Instagram at weeklymassacre. Uh, You are gandersen19 on Letterboxd. I am Murfinturf. So please hit us up. Let us know if all you eat is leftovers. If you've ever been strangled by a sausage, <laughs> or if you were crushed by your own wine collection, we want to hear from you. Mm. Hey, suddenly a bunch of emails coming in about from uh, my exes, but getting strangled by a sausage, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, 
uh, I'm sorry. Jeez, what a what a dumb way to end this. <laughs> and as always, eat your meat. Nosedive, wow. <laughs> Bye. Bye.